for many athletes and sports fans, the spring of 2020 will long be remembered as the lost season. As the fields remain empty and the bleachers stay silent, it leaves us to ponder the what-ifs of our favorite spring sports. And as much as that cuts across all sports, at all levels, today we're here to talk about Connecticut High School Lacrosse. My name is Woody Thompson, and I live in Newtown, Connecticut. I helped run the youth lacrosse program here about a decade ago. Both my kids played lacrosse in that program and also at Newtown High School. I played high school and college lacrosse. My brother played high school and college lacrosse. My nieces and my nephews played. And Well, you get the picture. I'm a lacrosse guy from a lacrosse family, and I miss my sport. So what better way to get a little lax back than to talk about it with the people who have been most directly affected by this lost season? And today, that's going to be Scott Bulkley, the head coach at Newtown High School. Yeah, I know, easy layup for me, staying right here at home, but Scott's a good guy and a good start for this podcast, regardless of where he coaches. He played at Darien High School and at the University of North Carolina. He coached at Darien under Jeff Braymeyer and then became the head man at Greenwich High School for six years, winning an FCAC championship and a CIAC Class L championship. In 2015, he took the Newtown job and won the SWC championship in just his second year. Scott, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Woody, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. So what we're talking about today is what I guess we're going to term in the future as the lost season. Um, And, you know, what a bummer it is. But I think we all recognize that there's, uh, with perspective, there's a lot happening around us. But let's just kick this off by talking about, you know, your guys and and the people you know in the lacrosse world and just this bizarre thing where there's no lacrosse this spring. It's hard to even put into words exactly the feeling that I think most coaches and most players are in right now. It's It's more of a surreal moment. Um, when most of us, most of us coaches, most of us players have been playing and participating in lacrosse every spring for as long as they can remember. And to have it taken away and to not be able to watch it or see it or breathe it and feel it, 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 it kind of put in perspective how important lacrosse was and is to all of us. And, you know, to all the kids that I know that are playing in college, to all the coaches that I talk to, to all the kids I know in high school, everyone just wants it back. Um, and it, because it's such a p- huge part of our lives and of the community and kind of how we, you know, basically live that it, it, there's a, it's a void and it's, it's difficult to replace that void right now, considering the fact with everything else that's going on, it was always a great outlet to get away from things that were bothering you and not to have that anymore has been, has been extremely difficult, I think for everybody. You know, like so, so many things uh, in our lives that have been uh, now basically taken away from us. I wonder if this means that we're not going to take certain things for granted anymore. And, you know, for those of us who love the sport and have kind of reveled in the accomplishments of the people uh, that we've helped get into the sport, get better at the sport and kind of move on in their lives to a great degree because of the sport, um, maybe we haven't taken it for granted, but you know, the kids that are missing out, the parents that are missing out on these seasons, I wonder if, uh, it's going to make them appreciate and, and recognize just how special this was all along. I don't know how it can. Uh, I, I realistically, 
I think that everyone is starting to get a greater appreciation for all the small things, the little things that we took for granted. And obviously lacrosse being one of them. It, it, it was such a big part of everybody's spring. Uh, and they had not been able to have that. Whether you're completely in it or you're an observer from the outside or somebody that comes in, in and out, I think lacrosse touched so many different lives and so many different areas that, uh, that not having it is going to make everybody really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I see that through talking to some of my players and some of the kids I've coached with and my own kids, just basically doing some of the fundamentals right now are so important because that's the only way you can connect to the game. Um, whether it's hitting wall ball or picking up ground balls or shooting in your backyard, you have so a the, catch. Maybe there's a silver lining to this and that everybody's going to come out of this with better fundamentals, right? Well, the re- re- realistic thing is if you don't come out with better sticks scaled out of this thing, then I don't know what you were doing because there's no excuses now. You can't say that you had to go do this or had to go do that because everybody's stuck at home. So if you have a lacrosse stick and you have some sort of ball, whether it's a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball and a tree or something or goal or pitch back, you should be doing something outside and you should be, you know, throwing the ball around and getting better. I mean, that's realistically, you know, poor on you if you're not doing that. Uh, I know my kids are probably spending on average uh, two to three hours a day just outside throwing the ball around a pitch back or just playing games. Um, one of the cool things that kind of came out of this that I don't think ever would was a, a um, Andy Towers, who used to be the coach of Dartmouth and, and big-time player at Brown, uh, was playing a pitchback game with his son, and he put it on um, Twitter and made it go viral. It's called Rage Ball. And it's a combination of like, handball and squash that you play against one person. And he started playing it and posting the videos up, and then all of a sudden it went viral and everyone started playing it. And I, my kids and I play that game probably an hour and a half to two hours every day. And it's just a way to kind of connect back to the sport. Um, and it's those kind of innovations and those kind of things that people are throwing back out there, whether it's drills or you know, stick work stuff or shooting or just watching videos. These are the stuff that the purest of the games, the people who don't want to let go are, are kind of given back in a, in a virtual world that we all are living in right now. It's pretty amazing. So there are little silver lining stuff that are coming out of there. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. And um, uh, granted, we're talking about the season that wasn't, but let's talk about it as if there was a season that was. I want to talk uh, first a little bit about your team, about Newtown High School, and and how you were looking at uh, this particular uh, 2020 iteration of the Nighthawks. And um, and you know some players to watch, and and then their their position within and within the SWC, which really has been dominated the past couple of years by Marty Morgan's New Fairfield Rebels. Well, yeah, I mean, we were coming into the season with the idea that a lot of the the seniors and the juniors were going to have to step up into roles that maybe they they hadn't had to be in in the past couple of years. Uh, you know. We had probably one of the, the best defensemen in the, in the conference in Kyle Shirk returning, but we had two young defensemen in uh, Shane Lazetti and, and, and Jake Bolkley who are going to step into more prominent roles to revolve around, you know, our a three-year starter, Jake DeAndrea, um, in goal. So we were pretty excited about the defense that we were going to roll out this year. We have a lot of very athletic midfielders that we're going to be able to, you know, really kind of press out and pressure people. Um, a lot of, I'd say, almost 50% of the players on my team also play football. And obviously their success is going to translate into our team having a lot of confidence and being better physical. So we were excited about the opportunity to kind of like press out and, and show 
how athletic we were going to be. Um, we had some really good starters returning um, in the midfield with uh, you know Colin Breslin and uh, Ryan Ruddy and Tanner Tree. You know, unfortunately, uh, our, our probably our strongest midi and Jeff Garrity had um, hurt his knee during football season, so he wasn't going to play. But there was an opportunity for uh, some of the guys who were on the perimeter of our offense last year to step into really prominent roles and, and get a lot of experience. Um, and I was excited about the opportunity, what we're going to have. You know, our offense, we had uh, some really strong attackmen that were coming back with Brandon Manka and Kyle Sullivan. Um, you know, Pat Grover was me coming back. We had a, a, a um, there's just a ton of kids going back. And then I had some guys stepping into roles that maybe they wouldn't have done before. I mean, one of my returning defensemen, Fritz Morath, who was also an all-state wrestler, he was practicing to be, you know, our starting face-off guy. He was working with a couple of the, of the face-off guys that I used to coach at Greenwich. And he was preparing to translate his wrestling prowess onto the lacrosse field. And we were pretty excited about the idea of what Fritz was going to bring to that. And um, we still hope that that's something they could do because Fritz put a lot of time in behind. And, and we kind of didn't let a lot of people know that he was doing this because we wanted to kind of surprise everybody. But he was so dominant in wrestling that we thought that this was a great transition to the X for us. Um, and our whole defense and everything was kind of working around that because Fritz was going to have to wear two hats. He was going to have to face off, and then he was going to have to also be uh, one of our close defensemen. And, uh, you know, his work ethic and just the kind of person he is, we were really excited about what he was going to do. Um, and so, you know, those are the things that we were looking forward to right now. So who are the guys that would have been your seniors that, for all intents and purposes, have had this this senior year washed away? And and let's talk a little bit about what some of them are planning for the future. I mean, we, we always hope as lacrosse guys, that, that people are going to continue on and play uh, at the next level, whether that's uh, on an NCAA team or even uh, in what is growing to become more and more popular is uh, MCLA, but, you know, club lacrosse. But So talk to us specifically about uh, a few of your seniors and uh, what you know uh, at this stage about what some of their plans might be for the future. Right. Well, I'll, I'll start with the, my three, three of the senior captains that I have. You know, Kyle Shirk is going to RIT play lacrosse, um, you know, obviously a, a tremendous student and uh, a very, very, very strong lacrosse player. He was excited um, to be kind of in the senior year. He has been, you know, second team All-State the last two years, um, and I think one of the stronger defensemen, not only in our conference, but in the state. And I might, and add, was, I might add that Kyle Shirk uh, could easily be uh, the best success story of a, of a really talented kid finally moving to Newtown to play lacrosse. Right, he he moved to to uh, to Newtown uh, three years ago from South Carolina, um, and you know, first look at him, you're like, oh, this, but, you know, you're not sure if this kid can actually do everything he says he does, but you you can't measure the size of someone's heart, and the, the, the way that kid plays and how hard, you know, he puts out an effort he puts out on the on the field is tremendous. So yeah, we were really excited to see what he was going to be doing this year. I'm glad that that his his lacrosse career is not over because he'll be heading to RAT. Next year, another uh, senior we have is Kyle Sullivan, who's going to be going to uh, Salve Regina next year. So luckily, his lacrosse career is not over. It. He's a kid who's been working really hard and kind of been like the, the fourth or fifth attackman for the last couple of years. He's been stepping into a starting role this year. He's got great hands and, and can finish and was really doing a great job of being a good leader off the field for our guys. I was really excited about 
you know, watching him kind of mature into the into the leader that he that he was, and uh, I'm happy that his lacrosse career is not over. But I really wanted to see what he was going to do. I thought he was going to put up a lot of points this year. Um, another of our senior captains who I was really excited to see, and I just know put so much time in on shooting is Brett Pierce. I mean, he's going to be going to UConn next year, but uh, he, he uh, hopefully playing the club scene. But he's probably one of the best pure shooters I've had around here in a long time. And uh, he plays both attack and midfield, and we were going to move him around to try to get him as many opportunities to shoot and score as we could. I mean, last year he was probably our third best scorer on the team, and uh, he was going to step into the main guy. And he was relishing that opportunity. He was working hard in the weight room. He was working hard with six fields. He was in shape. Uh, and we were just extremely excited about what he was going to bring. And he's also a guy, I think, that uh, understands how to speak with his teammates and, and lead on the field. And so we were, you know, looking forward to watching how he matured into, into that position as well. Uh, obviously, I talked about uh, Fritz Morass and just kind of what he was going to be doing. But uh, another kid, great student going to Hopkins for wrestling. But, uh, but somebody who I think was putting in time in, in would you say, his secondary sport, but he just loved lacrosse and wanted to play for his teammates and was super excited about how much he was going to be doing in his senior year. And, and, you know, those are the things that we were really looking forward to. You know, these four guys were, were just like staples for our team and, and ones that uh, the nucleus of, the, of, the, of going forward and guys who had been there for us for the last four years. And I was excited for them. You know, we have – you know, Nick Hobar, who was you know, another senior that was put a lot of time in, he was going to help out a lefty attack. Um, you know, Pat Grover is another guy, an attackman who was going to be helping out. You know, these are the guys that really have put the time in, and hopefully we're going to really kind of step up and show everybody how good they were going to be. And I really hope that I know that the state, so they're not going to have a state tournament, but that somehow we can get maybe a, a conference championship or some sort of game in, you know, maybe – the end of May, early June. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see that. I, you know, I, I we've mentioned the word perspective a couple of times already, and I, you know, it, it's interesting um, as somebody who played the game and and has kids uh, of my own who played the game. The one thing I've always noticed is that um, whether there's a lost season due to injury uh, or other circumstances, which, you know, it's not unknown that, you know, whether it's a program gets canceled due to unfortunate circumstances or what, um, the exposure that these guys have had to the game, to their teammates and to, uh, you know, the, the, the level of competition that has drawn them to it, that that's not going to go away. And if they, if they have an opportunity, obviously Shirk going to a great lacrosse school and a great academic school like RIT, um, you know, the opportunity for uh, uh, Sullivan to play at a, a D3 school uh, where he probably stands a pretty good chance of getting some, some time like Salve. And even the club situation at UConn, I mean, those opportunities are there for these guys. But I think as they go through, they're going to recognize um, the special experience that they had in high school lacrosse. And if they stay with it, that's never going to leave whether they missed a season for whatever reason. And it's easy for me to say that with the perspective that I have looking back. And that's really hard for you as their coach and for them as players sitting here today. But I think it's important because in the end, there's a lot to life. There's a lot to college um, uh, that's more than just lacrosse. 
Uh, however, uh, we, we understand uh, how impactful this spring is going to be uh, on everybody. And, and I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes um, that the experiences that they've had are, are still extremely valuable despite uh, this, this single loss season. So I'll, I'll get off the soapbox. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the NCAA and this uh, issue of extended eligibility and how that impacts, especially at the, the highest level of, of Division One recruitment, really, which certainly you've had a lot of exposure to as a former player at, the, at North Carolina and, and a coach of several successful D1 players. Um, you know, it, obviously it's a good thing for the guys who are in school, but what does it mean to an incoming freshman uh, or even the guy who was a freshman or a sophomore and was waiting for his chance as some more experienced players were moving out? I, I mean, a good, good question because there's a lot of, I guess, talk about the impact and how this is going to affect not only the, the guys who are in college or the incoming freshmen, but a couple of the recruiting classes like two, three years down the road. I guess the best example that we can look at is, is what went on with Duke a couple of years ago when they had their, their that season ended and then they, they allowed that all the entire group to kind of repeat. And then you had like basically five years of classes there for a bunch of years. Um, and obviously you saw the success that Duke had. Now this is going to ripple through the entire, um, the entire league. Uh, but the problem, no, not problem. The, I guess the situation that's going to happen now is how many of the seniors are going to stay, you know, and, and, and to that it comes into, did they have jobs already lined up? Can they afford to come back? Can the school afford to pay them to come back? Um, and you've seen that with the Ivy league kids, there's no fifth year opportunity there because they're rarely at grad school. So they're all taking a fifth year to go to grad school. Now for them, the grad school option, I think is great, but, you know, now they're coming into maybe taking away a starting position from somebody, whereas the kids who are repeating or staying at their own college are already solidified in their roster, where some of these kids are going to go into the, the uh, transfer portal and transfer to schools they weren't at originally, and they probably never would have been if this hadn't happened. And how's that going to impact? And then you have the kids who are coming in. So the freshmen who now have a freshman year under their belt will be freshmen again, then you have the kids that are coming in will be freshmen. So a class that would historically be like eight to 10 kids are now going to be, you know, 16 to 20 kids in a class. That's a lot of kids to carry in one class. How many uh, schools have the ability to redshirt some of these kids that come in? I don't know. You know, that's the same big thing. And then, you know, a lot of the talk has been, well, what happens to these non-revenue sports like lacrosse um, that basically feed off of the revenue sports. Like, you know, not having the NCAA basketball tournament, we haven't talked about that yet, but that is going to ripple through uh, all of the big-time schools that, that lost money for that. And, you know, God forbid the uh, fall football is affected. You're going to see a lot of non-revenue sports be affected. Their budgets are going to be affected. Their scholarships are going to be affected. And how does that, in turn, affect incoming recruits? The other thing you're seeing, too, is a lot of these kids are transferring or leaving schools because, you know, not being at school and being home, maybe some of these kids don't want to be as far away. Or maybe some of their parents have lost jobs and they can't afford the tuition anymore. So some of these kids are transferring back to state schools. Are you going to see in-state uh, 
programs increase in, in, in the ability to keep kids because of the, you know, the ability that our economy is where it is right now. So there are so many factors that are going in right now. It'll be interesting to see, but you know, I got to look at the top, you know, 10 schools at the, when the, when we stop playing and you look at the state schools, the schools that can have kids repeat like a Syracuse or North Carolina or Penn state or Virginia, you know, or Maryland, those schools that can have guys repeat or they can transfer guys in, they're going to be as strong as they were this year and stronger next year because what they're going to have is they're going to have that core nucleus of guys that are there, and then they're going to have new guys to plug in and, and maybe new transfers in. Um, you know, I mean, we look at North Carolina this year, got the transfer of, of the kid Gray from Cornell. He's amazing. Imagine if the, you know, Sowers is now out there. If he joins Syracuse or Carolina or Virginia. I think one of the things that happens here is, and anybody who's been around college lacrosse really these days with the explosion of the game almost at any level, um, is there are no guarantees as a player. Nobody is, right. Nobody's guaranteed a roster spot, and certainly nobody's guaranteed playing time. And as you arrive as a freshman and – consider yourself putting time in, uh, it doesn't matter because there's another class coming in right behind you and there's going to be some talent that you didn't expect or didn't know about, so you better keep working. So this just makes that situation more intense. The The other piece of it is, and especially for, I think, some of the smaller Division three schools, which, as you brought up the economic point, there's a, there's a lot of small colleges that, frankly, are going to struggle to physically exist uh, in the wake of this as you go ahead and look at what damage is probably being done to endowments, etc. Um, I think that um, the NCAA Division Three and maybe even Division Two ranks are going to see a lot of attrition. And uh, if you want to go play lacrosse at that level, uh, it's going to be in an MCLA program, which, quite frankly, for many players may even be a better option because you get to play in the fall and the spring. But you just got to figure out who's going to pay for it. But these schools and their ability to, to fund these programs, um, scholarships or, or not, is really going to be um, is going to be something to watch uh, as that unfolds. Um, hey, I want to shift back just briefly back to high school. And I want you to look into your, um, really, the crystal ball. But we're going to look uh, into a crystal ball that we'll, we'll never know uh, whether it came true or not. But just wanted your thoughts on your conference, uh, the SWC, and then Class L especially, which is where uh, the Newtown Hawks play. And tell me what you thought about this season coming in, in terms of which teams were going to be the strongest and compete. And, and what, what Newtown was going to have to do to uh, rise to the top among those groups. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it at the beginning uh, that the SWC has gone through the domination by that new Fairfield senior class that left last year. I mean, they were tremendous. To have 12 guys contributing for so long and playing so long, that was a rare team to have come through. They're lucky for all the other teams in the SWC that that, that, that group graduated. Um, I think one of the teams that everybody was probably putting at the top of their list and, you know, kind of the power scale wise was Weston. They had a good group that's been coming through similar to the new Fairfield, whereas they had a, a group that would play to sophomores and juniors and now we're seniors. Um, and, and coach Thornton does a great job with, with preparing his team that that was probably going to be the top team to, to beat 
in our conference. And then I think that you, you find that the, the next three teams would be New Fairfield, Newtown, and Barlow kind of chomping at the bit to take a shot, shot at them. Uh, I, I, we were all looking forward because we, you know, I do talk with a lot of the coaches in the conference a lot at, at uh, how our conference championship was going to kind of go down and that we thought it was going to be extremely, maybe one of the most competitive uh, playoffs that we've had in a long time. Because I thought that all the teams, you know, the top six teams, you know, Mastic being one of the ones that was really strong and coming on too, that was going to, you know, really, I think, give everybody a run for the money. It could go either way towards the end of the season with everybody kind of gelling at the right time. And so uh, that that's how the SWC was kind of unfolding. The top five teams, I would say, would be those, those five, you know, New, uh, Weston and then, you know, Newtown, New Fairfield and Barlow kind of all being together and then Massac right there. So it, it was uh, kind of exciting to see that. Well, and then, good for, good for well, Massac because, you know, back in, in my day of, uh, of helping to run the Newtown youth program, we had Monroe players in our program because they did not have a youth program over there. And, you know, what they've done in the past, uh, you know, seven or eight years to develop players and, and more importantly, hang on to their players. You know, the majority of, of their good players traditionally were ending up at St. Joe's or, or prep or elsewhere. And um, so good. It's really good to see that program start to develop some homegrown talent and at least get into the mix. Well, yeah, and their and their coaching staff and their talent is kind of really kind of, I think, kind of dedicated themselves to bring that up. They, they, they're so close for with all these towns in Barlow and Newtown that I think that they, that it's kind of by osmosis, they've been able to pull in. Um, and again, they have been able to, luckily Barlow and Newtown is able to absorb some of these guys in the off season for their youth programs. It was specific classes that may not have enough guys to field teams. Um, and I always like the fact that, that uh, lacrosse is kind of unique with that, where there are always open arms to other people in other towns just so kids can get to play. Um, I, I love that. I love that, that that's the admin. So you look at what they do with the Harlem lacrosse and what they're doing in Bridgeport with uh, lacrosse there and across the country with, in other you know, urban areas. It, it's great that the outreach for lacrosse players to give back to the sport, regardless of where they live, is it, tremendous. And I always love the fact that lacrosse is, is unique, I think, in constantly giving back to anybody who just wants to pick a stick up. And when I teach new kids this about the game and the history, is not a lot of people know that the oldest North American sport is lacrosse and that one of the greatest players to ever play the game is also one of the greatest football players to ever play the game in Jim Brown. Um, and that he still gives back to the game. And just like Bill Belichick does. And these are, these are guys who are, you know, legends in another sport, but they constantly come back to a sport that they love because it gave them so much. And just like anybody else who played the game, they always want to give back to it. Um, so I just wanted to say that because I think that, that those two guys do a great job of being, you know, great people to promote the game, even though that's not the main sport that they play. Right. I also always loved when uh, Chris Hogan was on the Patriots yeah. and they do the thing on Monday Night Football where they introduce themselves. He'd always say that he was uh, he would say Chris Hogan, Penn State lacrosse, which was which was really yep. cool. All right, so let's let's get a, a quick prediction. Um, and it's if it's boring and it's just going to be the same old, same old, uh, same old answer. I don't even know if I want to hear it, but class, oh, class L, class L. <laughs> I mean, I really thought there was a couple of teams that were going to, you know, obviously Darian is. You have to put them into that the conversation because they just keep turning out kids left and right. Um, their their youth program is tremendous. 
Um, obviously, Coach Braymeyer has done an incredible job ever since he's been there because he coached me when I was there. That um, it, 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 they do a great job. The whole town does a great job promoting that sport and into the school. So you can't mention state championships in Connecticut lacrosse without starting with Darien. But you know, I thought New Canaan and Westport and Richfield and uh, you know Wilton, they were all going to compete. I thought they were all had teams that have potential to, to get get hot at the right point. Uh, I think Fairfield Prep had a good a good nucleus last year and then they were gonna have to have some guys step up. You know, and then you have some of the, the teams on the perimeter and you Glastonbury always has quality program coming down here. Um, and then you you know you never know. You some of these other other teams that can pop in there and out there that you that you're not ready. You know, Cheshire is a team that could have been you know, stepping up and you know, and then you have uh you know, Hand. I thought Hand was gonna have an opportunity, even though they might be in class M this year, I'm not positive. And Wilton actually was gonna be in class M this year. So they would have had to have gone against New Fairfield. But those are teams that I thought were gonna be really good in, in the state. I, I thought that they all could you know potentially do a you know, I thought given the right time and playing at the right point and having injuries the way they were, that, that they would have given Darianna a run for their money. Um, and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. You know, I'll save my uh, I'll save the, the topic of Fairfield Prep and the private schools competing uh, in CIAC for another uh, another discussion. But I always wonder uh, about uh, about how that level playing field is somewhat unleveled. Uh, when it comes to that, but it's neither here nor there really for this conversation. I think all the schools that you mentioned, it's always interesting to me um, what is what has happened and what I've seen over the years uh, in Connecticut. When I was in high school, Wilton was it. Darien didn't have a program. New Canaan was kind of on the horizon a little bit. But when I was in high school, Wilton High School with uh, obviously Guy Witten as their head coach was, you know, that was Connecticut lacrosse. And now to see really all those FCAC teams and, and Glastonbury, because I always have to put them in there because they've always been so strong as a program. Uh, and, and as a coach now in the SWC uh, and knowing the size of certain schools in our conference uh, here, uh, I'm, always, I'm always curious about the, the reasons why uh, a Staples or a Ridgefield really kind of came from nowhere to excel in lacrosse and and is is it because they've developed a culture in those towns is it because the people who moved to those towns were lacrosse people and uh, you know with all due respect to roy colsey uh ridgefield was getting better before he got there he certainly has made a big difference but I, 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 my belief is that it's a culture. Marty Morgan has developed a lacrosse culture in New Fairfield, a small town, and he has taken the athletes in that town at a very young age and, and developed this lacrosse culture. And I'm, I'm wondering about your opinion there, because that's clearly what Darien has and, and has developed over the past you know, 30 years or so. So what is it about those towns that perhaps doesn't exist in Southbury or Bethel or Brookfield or even, you know, New Milford or, or in some cases, Newtown, when you consider the size of, of Newtown High School? Yeah, I, that's a good question. And I'm, it's funny you mentioned some of those those towns and, you know, kind of like where, where this was 30 years ago. Well, um, I'm not sure if I, I, I told you this, but 
Uh, I went to elementary school, Wilton, middle school, McCain, and, and I went to Darien High School. So I played in all three of those youth programs back in the 80s. And um, I can tell you right now that Darien's transformation into what they were was to basically look at their neighbors, at how, what New Canaan was doing and what Wilton was doing, and they basically mimicked it. And their commitment to their youth program, which is, is unbelievable, is, is why Westport is what it was, is now. Westport looked at what it was doing, and they started to set up their youth programs, just like Darian and Canaan and Wilton did, and Richfield did that. Because if you look at the youth sports in both those towns, in Westport and in Richfield, their commitment to their youth sports in those towns is tremendous. And so it's not a shocker. Like you said, you saw Richfield coming before Roy was getting there. And Roy's done an unbelievable job of that town. But you saw the athletes coming. You saw the youth programs, both on the girls and the boys' side. And, you know, Westport has always had the athletes. They just didn't make the commitment like they did to football as they did to lacrosse. And once they made that commitment, now they're one of the teams that have been, you know, doing a good job. And they have a great coach there in Will Kashansky, you know, who really gets it, that he's doing, I think, they're going to be a team that's going to be talked about for a while because they're the guy who played at the highest level and understands it, and he's committed to getting that program to the next level. And, you know, they've already done there, you know. And, you know, if you want to have a good high school program, you have to have a good youth program. I mean, why is Newtown's football program so strong? Because there's a huge commitment for the youth program and there's a huge involvement. You know, the Newtown youth lacrosse program, you know, it does a good job, but they just don't have the numbers, I think, that some of these other districts have. Um, and if they had the numbers, they would probably be right up there with everybody else. Yeah, as I look into the past, and, and you know, I moved to Newtown in 1998. Uh, my daughter graduated in 2009. Obviously, the girls' program has been very successful for a long time, and she was part of that. And my son's uh, age group, he graduated in 2011. Uh I think that was when this town was at the peak of its of its youth population and we were getting a lot of the best athletes in town and and we had a few years there we went fairly deep uh, uh, one year uh, sev- both several years making quarterfinals in, in class L one year making it to the semifinals um, but there is no question that um, there I, I still believe in that culture piece and uh, you know, Newtown loves its lacrosse. There's no doubt about it. But it it was a soccer town for a while. It's always been a football town, and um, but there's no question that uh, that there's we lose a lot of athletes to baseball. And no disrespect to America's pastime, but it, it's an interesting thing to go through these towns in our state and look at kind of even the socioeconomic factors that contribute to this. And it is, I think, a, a great topic of its own for a, for a future discussion. Also, sometimes it, it goes by, by class, meaning that there are some classes that just don't have a lot of kids that participate in the sport in that year. And like for the eighth grade and the seventh grade classes right now in Newtown, there's a gigantic participation in lacrosse. And so, like you said, your, your son's year they may have, I don't know how many kids they had in their class, but right now we would, we would, for our seventh and eighth grade teams, the youth were going to have three teams. We haven't had that in the youth team in about four years. So this shows you that maybe 
it's coming back around. It's cyclical, coming back around again. Yeah, we certainly that that's what it was. A standard approach was at least three teams per uh, per age group. So that's great to hear that we're headed back there. Scott, I want to thank you very much for joining me for what has been a very uh, a very interesting conversation. We, you know, those of us uh, in, in the state certainly uh, respect the work that you've done with with young lacrosse players, uh, whether that's down uh, in Greenwich or you know for the past five years up here in Newtown. Um, we uh, wish you best of luck this spring as you make it through with your family. We we hope you stay safe and healthy and. And hope to see you out on a field very soon. Thank you very much, Woody. I really appreciate it. And to our listening audience, we'd like to thank you for stopping by as well. We hope you'll tune in again uh, when and if uh, this thing takes flight. We'd like to be back with a look at Connecticut High School Lacrosse and the people who make it happen uh, over the next few weeks. So to everybody out there, please stay healthy, please stay safe, and remember, lax is life.